0: The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest-growing, highest-rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best. the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities.
2: And we're back.
0: Yes, yes we are.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited I might die.
1: Yeah, you said that in the post on uh, the social media yesterday, day before yesterday. We announced our first live show and... We're just beside ourselves with excitement.
2: So yeah, we're going to do a live box of oddities at Zany's Comedy Nightclub in Nashville, February 27.
1: That's the official date. That's our very first live show. And when we started this podcast, we had a couple of things in mind. Number one, we we wanted to find people like us that would enjoy these kind of stories and just hang out with our kind of people. And we were hoping that the show would 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 catch on and then get to a point where we could go out and do live shows and meet you and hang out with you and our dreams are coming true
2: um also I hear Nashville's like an amazing foodie city, and so many people have already reached out and said, "Hey, if you need restaurant recommendations, I'm there for it and I'm a hundred percent. Jiving with you people right now. I want to know where them cupcakes is. <laughs> I want to know where to get those puffy things with that creamy stuff on the top. The puffy creamy. I things. want all of it in my face. I'm so excited.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you can get tickets, and we'd love to see you um February 27th at Zany's Comedy Nightclub in Nashville.
2: Now there's a Zany's in Chicago, and there's a Zany's in Atlanta. They're is that all right?
1: over the place. Yeah. Yeah, there there are zinies all over the place. So make sure that uh, you know you're, you're you're aware of the fact that it's it's going to be the one in Nashville.
2: Nashville. We've uh,
1: we've all, already got messages from uh, people from Alabama that are coming that have already bought their VIP tickets from I'm Alabama. i so excited. That's pretty exciting. Somebody from Michigan is driving down for it. So you can get your tickets, but just go to our website right now, theboxofoddities.com, and click on Live Show. It'll take you right to the portal.
2: We are going to hang.
1: And there are a few select VIP tickets available.
2: Right, that does. Um, I, that's a meet and greet after the show and
1: preferred seating.
2: Preferred seating. Yeah, there's yeah. Only, I
1: think there's only like maybe at this point forty something of them left.
2: And we're gonna try to have some merch available for you. It's gonna be amazing. I'm so excited.
1: The box of oddities' first live show, Zanies, Nashville, February 27th. We hope you can make it. <laughs> <laughs> You go first.
2: Oh, okay. Okay. Big thanks to uh, my friend Gabby, who got me on to this topic. Uh, we were chatting at work, and she is into a lot of the same kind of weirdities that I am. And so she was like, do you know about this? And I said, I do not know about this. What? So here we go. <laughs>
1: Excellent. I love the word weirdities, by the way.
2: Thank you. there is an island located in the channels of Sochmilko. Xochmilco, south of the center of Mexico City. Xochmilco. It's a man-made island, and that's on the Laguna de... something. (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) Oh, wow.
2: Toshulo. I'm going to say Toshulo. Okay, so Chinampa is a type of uh, Mesoamerican agriculture which used small rectangular areas of plowable land to grow crops on the shallow lake beds in the valley of Mexico. They would build a sort of underwater fence on stakes and pile soil onto it, and um, they're sometimes called floating islands because that's kind of like what they look like, and there are hundreds of them. They were great because the uh, the beds, the uh, the the bottom of the the water uh, is chuck full of minerals and very good for growing things but of course you can't grow in water I mean you know so so they'd build these square l- plots of island land where they could grow stuff uh, on top
1: of the water and the nutrients from the uh, from the lake bed would filter up correct through? okay yes that's ingenious it
2: really is and it's been going on for millennia one of these islands though is home to hundreds of dolls.
1: What, wait, what? This
2: particular island is called Isla de Muñecas, the island of the dolls, as it is home to hundreds of dolls.
1: Is this like like the island of misfit toys? But, Something like that. But more horrific. Uh-huh. Oh my God. So okay, go ahead, tell me. I doll
2: I am... limbs.
1: Oh okay. doll heads. Why?
2: And dolls? are attached to and hang from the trees covering the island.
1: How big is this island?
2: I I don't know.
1: I mean, but it's it's big enough to walk around on.
2: Yes, there are a couple of buildings on the island. Okay. But, yes... There are entire dolls. There are bits of dolls um, attached to the trees with wires hanging from the trees. Uh, There are a couple buildings that are just filled with the dolls. The broken and deteriorated dolls of various styles and colors are found throughout the island. Most of them weather-worn, so years of rain and mold and bugs. And so they're all... They're not looking fresh out the box and... Por Yeah. No, good question. They were originally placed around the island by the former owner of the island, Julian Santana Barrera. He was the lone inhabitant of this island. And according to the legend, one day while walking along the canal, he found the body of a girl... Floating in the water. Legend has it that the young woman drowned and tangled among the lilies. Locals say that he was just broken up about not being able to have saved her. Mm. Not long after, the story goes that Barrera came across another discovery in the same part of the canal. He found a doll in the canal and he thought that that must have belonged to the dead girl. He believed that the doll contained the drowned child's spirit. Oh, and my. in her honor, he hung it from a tree where it could supposedly live forever.
1: Wow, he spent a lot of time on that island by himself, didn't he?
2: Well, Don Julian was always a superstitious man. Okay. And that was part of the reason that he'd moved to the woods to live alone. Uh, but he began to have unexplainable experiences hearing little girls laughing the pitter-pat of little feet in his cabin. No. Terrified, he started offering dolls to please the spirit of the girl, though some articles said that it was to frighten the spirit instead, but um, most of what I read said that locals agreed that he was offering it to her to appease her. Right, it was
1: a a peace offering.
2: Right, not, not to frighten her away. So, dolls that he found floating in the canals or that he found in the garbage or pieces of dolls that he found out and about, he would seek out dolls uh, whenever he went into uh, the nearby towns to offer to the island. And those close to him say that he became obsessed with finding dolls and doll parts. That, um, oh
1: my God,
2: that the island had some sort of power over him, that he needed to do
1: this. Wow.
2: Local legend also says that the dolls move their heads and arms. Shut up. And even open and close their eyes. That's
1: the most terrifying thing I've ever heard.
2: Some locals believe that the dolls themselves have removed their own heads and limbs. And that's why there are so many parts and so
1: few full dolls. Wow. Now, he lived on the island. Correct. Okay. Holy crap. By himself. How long ago was this that that he started his, shall we call it, doll collection?
2: It was in the 50s that uh, he found the girl and this whole situation started. Some witnesses who come to the island claim they've heard the dolls whispering to each other. While others who were on a boat near the island said the dolls lured them to come to the island, that there was some sort of force telling them to oh, come and see them.
1: Like a siren song.
2: Like a siren song.
1: Now I want to watch, "Old oh, brother, where art thou?
2: <laughs> yeah, kind of a different visual though, Go for to sure. Sleep,
1: little baby. Right,
2: those were beautiful women, um... With, like, sure. all their body parts.
1: Right, yeah, not decapitated and dismembered dolls <laughs> who have come to life in the light of the moon.
2: The island of the dolls is an hour and a half away from Embarcadero Quemanco. And the only way to get there is by boat. Most rowers are willing to transport people to the island, but there are re- those who refuse to because of superstition. And superstition is what led julian Don Julian bar he had nine, nine names um. Superstition is what led him to live there in the first place. He, I guess, was just kind of a regular guy in the 50s who had like um, vegetables that he grew and then would sell in town. Okay, And then he'd go to the local uh, bar on his way home from work and have a few drinks. But then he started to become very superstitious and very religious and started preaching the Bible around town. And people kind of got sick of him. (laughs) And he ended up moving to this island to... To live alone. So superstition plays a big part in this whole thing. I mean, he may have already had some stuff going on. Um, And then there was this dead girl and all these dolls. And I'm sure it didn't improve his mental health.
1: No, no. (laughs) Because he stayed
2: there (laughs) by himself.
1: Out on an island, alone, (laughs) with doll parts.
2: For 50 years. The island is now uninhabited because in 2001, Barrera was found dead Reportedly, floating in the exact no. same spot. Did in he the have canal. little tiny
1: stab wounds on him?
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> but it was where he had uh, he had found that girl, so many years earlier. And some believe that his spirit is now amongst all the other spirits inhabiting the dolls on the
1: island. So, this is kind of a voodoo y kind of thing, isn't it? It
2: is a little bit, yeah, yeah. Um, There are those who offer uh, tours. The journey of approximately an hour takes a tour of the ecological area. Um, so that it's not like just a tour of Dahl Island. They're, they're taking you on an eco tour, and that's just part of it. Sure. Um, so you go to a small museum, some nearby islands, and then, oh, yes, this nightmare.
1: Yeah, well, see, that's it. Because I think a lot of people would feel self-conscious about wanting to go see an island, creepy full doll of, island. Yeah, yeah. A, a, an island full of murderous dolls. Mm. And so they positioned like, yeah, we're gonna go look at all this neat nature stuff, and then doll heads.
2: There are a lot of really neat animals that live nearby, though, sure. and I'm sure it would be fascinating. I'm sure it will be fascinating when
1: we go because yes. that's going on our list.
2: You know it is.
1: You know it is. That's amazing.
2: Yeah. Anyway, that's the uh, island of
1: the dolls. So thanks, he,
2: Gabby. He.
1: He lived on this island collecting doll parts for 50 years. 50 years. Before he died. Yep. Good God in heaven.
2: Yeah.
1: Why are dolls so creepy? I
2: don't know.
1: You know, I mean, you you, you see horror movies and they often use that imagery to evoke horror. Right. Like an old antique doll head in the attic that somebody mistakenly stumbles across and the eyes open and that just freaks us. It's like ventriloquist dummies. Those are scary too. Did Did I ever tell you the story about When I interviewed Richard Simmons, exercise guru, Richard Simmons.
2: No. And
1: his doll story.
2: No, please tell me.
1: By the way, Richard Simmons was the best interview I have ever had in my life. I interviewed him a couple of times. And he is just a treat.
2: He seems like he would be.
1: Richard Simmons grew up in Louisiana. When he was younger, everybody called him Dickie. And uh, he would go around the neighborhood and he would find all the little girls Barbie dolls because he loved and he would pull the heads off them because he loved the sound that it made when, when he would pull the Barbie doll's head off the body. That little. Yeah. Whoop. He loved that sound. I
2: totally get that.
1: He became obsessed with that sound, but then he didn't know what to do with the head. Sure. So he would bring them home and put them in his dresser drawer. And he said one day his mother was uh, was cleaning out his room and she's like, Dickie, what is this? And he comes in and she pulls open the drawer and there are hundreds of Barbie doll heads in the drawer. <laughs> How do you explain that to your I mom? I love it.
2: And I love that, I mean, I, I totally get that because, you know, I'm a big fan of... ASMR. And Mm. there are certain Mm. sounds that just please me to no end. And um, I also have made a necklace at one point in my life out of Barbie doll heads. So I I appreciate all the parts of this story. (laughs) Thank you, Richard Simmons and your sweet, stripy tank top. (laughs) That's wonderful.
0: And now, The Box of Oddities brings you That Thing in the Middle.
2: Information, for today's thing in the middle, is uh, called from HeinekenCollection.com.
1: Gerard Adrian Heineken was born in 1841. 23 years later, he founded the Heineken Beer Company. Today, Heineken is the second largest beer company in the world operating 165 breweries that produce 5 billion gallons of beer annually. That's a lot of beer bottles, and once they're empty, that's a lot of trash. Which is exactly what Heineken's third CEO and Gerard's grandson, Alfred, noticed when he was traveling in South America late in his life. He was appalled at how many Heineken bottles were strewn on the ground in the small island of Curacao and how many homeless people there were. Now in Holland, Heineken had devised a recycling system that was so efficient that the average bottle was used 30 times. But on Curacao, which lacked any modern distribution systems, bottles were used exactly once and then disposed on the ground. Alfred was hit with an inspiration. He knew beer bottles were surprisingly strong. What if the bottles on the ground could have a second life as building bricks. So when Alfred returned to Holland, he hired an architect to redesign Heineken bottles to be used as bricks after they were used for beer. The architect, John Habriken, came up with a stackable square world bottle he called Wobo. The bottles were thickened to bear weight horizontally, and the corners were squared off so they could be stacked sideways. The neck of each bottle locked into a depression in the bottom of the next. Dimples on both sides made it easier for mortar to adhere. Haberkin even designed plastic shipping pallets that could double as roofs. It was ingenious. Ship the beer to a remote location, the locals drink the beer, then the locals build houses with the bottles in the shipping containers. Except that it never happened. Heineken produced 100,000 Wobo bottles and even built a test house near Alfred's home outside of Amsterdam. But in the end, Heineken's marketing department killed the idea. It was too risky for the brand, they said. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth.
2: We all have stuff.
1: I have too much of it, actually, and not enough places to keep it in. Oh, you're talking about emotional stuff. Yeah. I still have not enough place (laughs) to keep all my emotional stuff.
2: (laughs) There's all this baggage. Yes. And there's big stuff, and then there's the daily stuff. For me, daily stuff was getting to be a big thing. It was like all of the little things that I'd always been able to kind of manage on my own were just kind of culminating into one giant storm cloud of mm-hmm. big thing. Sure. It was very strange. I found one of the best things that I could use to help improve my state of being was was breathing, just the simple act of measured breathing and being aware of my breath. And the Calm app helps me so much with that.
1: You know, even if you're not into meditating, it's so much more than that. It could be just, as you mentioned, uh, controlled breathing. And we've mentioned before the sleep stories, how much we love the sleep stories. It's like a grown-up bedtime story. where you, you crawl into bed, you tuck yourself in, and then you turn on the Calm app, and it tells you a story until you fall asleep.
2: I want to know what the ends of these stories are like.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I always fall asleep way too soon. But also in the sleep section, they've got uh, music, they've got nature sounds.
2: Yeah, some really cool soundscapes that involve a little bit of music, but also those nature sounds, they kind of all mix together for one beautiful melty song for you for the melting.
1: It's calm.
2: And that's why we're excited to partner with Calm. Calm is the number one app for sleep, meditation, and relaxation. It was even named Apple's 2017 App of the Year.
1: It's like a toolbox to help you live a happier, healthier, more mindful life. Now, again, it's great for meditation, but you don't have to meditate to really appreciate the calming effects of the Calm app.
2: But if you want to get into meditation, they have um, some really cool ways to help guide you into it. So you can get good at meditation. I believe in you.
1: And so does the Calm app. For a limited time, the Box of Oddities listeners get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash box.
2: It includes unlimited access to all of Calm's amazing content. Get started today at calm.com/box. Calm.com/box, calm.com slash box.
1: That's com slash box. C-A-L-M dot com slash box. Not only do you get the 25% off the Com Premium subscription, but you support the Box of
0: Oddities. (sighs) They've been married longer than they've been doing this podcast and they're still talking to each other. Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth continue with the Box of Oddities.
1: So this afternoon we were watching, uh, what was it, episode six of The Haunting of Hill House, which by the way
2: Uh, Ah! Ah! I am so impressed
1: What a great show that is It's on Netflix Check it out
2: I just can't with how much I love it And there's so much I'm going to watch it again As soon as we're done with it I'm going to watch it again Because there are things behind things That I just realized that we weren't seeing Until You just There's so much going on It's
1: great. It's great I'm
2: so pleased with it
1: so we're sitting there watching that, and we get a bing message from one of our social media platforms. We sat there and read it, and we both got tears in our eyes. I mean, literally, tears in our eyes.
2: Um. So she writes that uh, she's just caught up on our podcast, and... um. That she loves the show. um, and she wasn't she didn't know how much until episode twenty two and episode twenty two uh, was where we talked about the Hilton sisters. yeah we
1: had to go back and um, re-listen to it. Mm. That was a lot of episodes ago for
2: sure. Um, she said that that episode ended up um, making her cry at her desk and having a conversation with her daughters when she got home because um, she, goes into how from the time she was four until she was 12, uh, she was being abused and she didn't know that that's what was happening exactly until she was at a sleepover with a friend. And, uh, their, her friend said uh, that their dad doesn't treat them like her stepdad treated her. And, uh, she then fast forwards to when she married a man, uh, many years later who, uh, also was abusive and she thought she did a good job hiding the abuse from the kids until she got a call from her kid's principal
0: mm-hmm.
2: my daughter who was 11 told them that she was afraid for my life my husband never hurt my kids in fact he loves them dearly and even though it was more emotional abuse than anything it struck a chord and we waited for him to go to work packed up my car left a note and left the girls are doing much better and i feel so much better You said in your podcast that it becomes routine and that people should know that they are better than that. And your words struck me right to my core. And it hurt, but it felt so good. I went home to make sure my children knew that they deserve better and that's not how men should treat them. And they're worth so much more. Thanks from the bottom of my heart, my girls and I. We love you. And that was... There there were also some emojis with heart eyes. That yeah. I really liked the very heart,
1: much. Hard eye emojis. So you know, I love that even though she didn't realize that the kids were picking up on it, yeah. that when she did she said, We're out and yeah. she had the bravery and the courage to to do it. So good on you. Yeah, it's scary for
2: sure. And those conversations are so important. And to keep having those conversations, um, regardless of whether you've been in an abusive relationship or not, kids see so much and infer so much and take so much from the world around them. It's so important to just keep drilling it into your head. You have value. You are enough. You don't need someone else to make you have value.
1: Yeah, whatever. (sighs) Okay. Um, Hmm.
2: Thank you for that message. It means a lot to us. It
1: does. I want to tell you a story today about a guy who thought he could hypnotize people with his dancing skills. <laughs> his name was Henry Cyril Paget, the fifth Marquis of Anglesey, or as he preferred to be called, the Dancing Marquis. His I friends... <laughs> His friends just called him Toppy. He was the eldest son of the fourth Marquis and the great-grandson of the notable war hero, Field Marshal Henry William Paget. I'm getting my information from The Telegraph, Wikipedia, and Cracked. His bloodline was impeccable. He had inherited his title from a line of, of, of very famous figures known for their bravery on the battlefield. Uh, for example, Field Marshal Henry William Paget, When he was in the Battle of Waterloo, he was there with uh, the Duke of Wellington. And as he was standing on the field, a cannonball swept his leg from his body, just, you know, blew his leg off his body. Oh. And his response was, good God, sir, I've lost my leg. To which uh, Wellington replied, by God, sir, so you have.
2: I love the accents that they have. Yeah,
1: yeah. I was very, I don't know. I, I, I think of like Monty Python from The Meaning of Life. For his sure. leg was bitten sort, sort of, of off. off. <laughs> anyway, Pageant did not really live up to his ancestry in the eyes of contemporary society mm. at the time. He was flamboyant, extremely flamboyant. He almost exclusively wore silk scarves and gems, and uh, it was, <laughs> he was pretty eccentric. It was not uncommon for him to uh, be seen strolling down the Strand with his poodle all done up in pink ribbons. And he had a, a collection of uh, motor cars, but he didn't like the smell of the exhaust, So he redesigned the uh, engines to spray perfume wherever he drove.
2: That's amazing. So it's
1: kind of like an Abercrombie on wheels.
2: This is the kind of ingenuity we need.
1: He was a very, very eccentric guy who inherited uh, ridiculous amounts of money.
2: I, You know, I have some interesting ideas and styles. Why don't I inherit ridiculous amounts of money?
1: He inherited almost a half a billion pounds at age 23. Whoa.
2: Okay. No, I'm glad I didn't inherit that kind of money at that age. I was stupid at 23.
1: At 27, it was gone.
2: Yeah, that seems right.
1: At 29, he died destitute.
2: Whoa. A virgin. What?
1: And what they called, what was called an embarrassment to his family. They burned every trace of his existence because of his flamboyant lifestyle at the time. His outrageous and lavish lifestyle was about as far removed as you could possibly imagine from his uh, stoic ancestors who just stood there on one leg in the Battle of Waterloo. <laughs> he was born in Paris to the Marquis' second wife. Uh, he was born on June sixteenth, 1875. Uh, rumors about his uh, true paternity were somewhat questionable. Many believed that his father was actually, in fact, a uh, famous French actor. Now, because of his royal lineage, uh, he married his cousin, which which was a common thing.
2: My cousin's great and all, but no.
1: I hear you. He married his cousin, Lily, because of the nobility thing, trying to keep all the wealth in the family, but it didn't really take. Uh, He preferred dressing his bride up like a life-size Barbie doll instead of having marital relations. He would spend ridiculous amounts of money on gems, and then he would drape her in these jewels and make her stand there naked, and that was about the extent of any kind of intimacy that they had.
2: I mean, was she into it? Because that's the only thing that matters. No,
1: no. She filed for a divorce.
2: Aww.
1: Actually, the marriage was eventually annulled on the grounds of non-consummation. And probably just general weirdness. Sure. Now, his lifestyle and behavior at the time was uh, pretty brave because this was about the same time that Oscar Wilde was imprisoned for being, as Crack says, too damn fabulous. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> there was a gay witch hunt on in those days. It was in full swing. Paget's ex-wife, who wasn't happy with him, and revenge would have been a very simple matter for her. I mean, she was angry at him. She could have just started a rumor and said that, you know, suggesting that he was gay. And, you know, he would have probably been imprisoned because in those days, that's what happened. Right. It would have easily been believed. But
2: Well, was she angry or did she just not want to be in a marriage with him anymore? She was angry at him. Oh, okay. yeah, Because um, of all the jewels? Yep. yep yeah, I can yep. see how that would be upsetting.
1: But she told her friends... That he wasn't gay. She said, quote, Henry is a classic narcissist. The only person he would make love to is himself. So he inherits this great estate and he turned an ancient chapel on the grounds of his estate uh, into a theater. He called it the Gaiety Theater and uh, it was elaborate and expensive. He would put on productions there free of charge for the local people and he would go and find all the best actors that were in the area, pay them exorbitant amounts of money, mm-hmm. and then cast himself in the lead role. Of course, that would require numerous costume changes.
2: Obviously.
1: And it would always end with his butterfly dance. Yes.
2: Tell me about that.
1: Also known as a snake dance. It was described as serpentine, fluid, mesmerizing, and otherworldly in nature. In my mind, I'm thinking like Axl Rose... But the difference is that uh, Paget would be wearing these big, flowing silk gowns, and he would uh, twirl about, and he was convinced he could hypnotize people by doing that.
2: Well, I have no doubt that he could. He sounds fabulous.
1: A fellow eccentric aristocrat, Lord Burners.
2: Aristocrat? <laughs> I love that movie. Yes.
1: A fellow eccentric aristocrat, Lord Burners, wrote uh, of one of Markey's infamous shows the public performances had been described as letting down the peerage and that uh, no Englishman ought to go see him disgrace himself in such a manner. And even though he said no one should go and watch him, you know, disgrace himself like that, he was determined to go and see one of the shows for himself. Sure. He left bewildered by Paget's unusual act, saying...
2: Or hypnotized?
1: <laughs> there was a roll of drums and the curtain went up and Lord Angelsey clad in a white tunic, a huge diamond tiara on his head, glittering with necklaces and brooches, bracelets and rings. He stood there for a few minutes, motionless, without any mannequin gestures of display. And then the curtain went down and that was the end of it. Uh, Apparently he refused to do his butterfly dance for for this guy because he was uh, criticizing him. So he just went out there and stood there for a few minutes and then the curtain went down. Reasonable. So despite all of his inheritance which would be about 50 million pounds in today's money. On June 11th, 1904, he declared bankruptcy. They had a. he spent all of his money on clothes and jewels. Sure. A half a billion dollars in today's money on clothes and jewels. Well,
2: also that theater.
1: And he had perfume-spewing cars. Right.
2: That can't be cheap. I know, just getting an oil change, it cost me like 50 bucks.
1: In 1905, he died in Monte Carlo, following a long illness, his ex-wife by his side. And his remains were returned to St. Edwin's Church for burial, uh, the Times reported that despite all that was known of him, he was extremely well liked by the people in his uh, hometown.
2: I don't see any reason why that shouldn't be.
1: No, today that would be celebrated. Back then, that you were imprisoned for that. You be you, boo. You be you. <laughs> so the city was sad to see him go when he when he passed. The title passed on to his cousin Charles Henry Alexander Pageant, who destroyed all of the papers. <sighs> of the 5th Marquis, and converted the Gaiety Theater back into a chapel. It was at least in part owing to the debts left by the 5th Marquis that the head of the family's principal English estate had to be broken up and sold in the 1930s. So in a very short time, he took a huge amount of money and spent it all on jewels and furs and uh, perfume-spewing cars and and, uh, bankrupted the estate. But he did look fabulous. Now, he was obsessed with photography. Ooh. Too at the time. And so after his performances mm-hmm. at his theater, he would hand out these little postcards with pictures of him on it, posing like draped over a chair, wearing gowns and tiaras and jewels. And I gotta show you one of these pictures. It's magnificent. It is fantastic.
2: Well, his ex-wife wouldn't do it. Right. I mean, so sure. someone's gotta drape them jewels. <laughs>
1: Check that picture out.
2: <gasps> he it. Oh my gosh! It looks like uh, George Harrison. I was not expecting the mustache. I'm going to be honest.
1: Yeah, it's very Freddie Mercury in that sense. It really with is the big mustache. That picture. He looks like a white Rick James. He's a super freak. For super reals, freak. Yo, that is a lot. So he was. He was a pretty brave guy for his time because what he was doing, whether he was gay or not. Mm. People thought he was, and that was enough to to end up in jail.
2: And he's all like, Dilla Gaff. No.
1: So that's the story of the dancing marquee.
2: I love him. And
1: his hypnotic butterfly dance.
2: I wish I could see it.
1: Unfortunately, there is absolutely no film record of it. That was one of the things they were lamenting in one of the articles that I had read is that even though he was obsessed with photography, film was still so very, very young, and there is no film of him. But that would be fabulous, for sure.
2: The aristocrats have to ruin everything.
1: Everything!
2: That was magnificent.
1: Thank you.
2: I'm very pleased.
1: So again, don't forget, go to our website, theboxofoddities.com. You can get your tickets to our first live show at Zany's Nightclub in Nashville on the 27th of February. (laughs) You're still giddy about that. I'm giddy about it, too. Oh goodness. Goodness. Uh, yeah.
2: yeah, but we got to wrap this up Because we've got uh, another episode Of The Haunting of Hill House to watch
1: Yes, we do Box of Oddities twice a week We will see you on Monday
2: Until then, keep flying that fabulous freak flag You
1: beautiful freaks
2: you got glitter on your face
1: Am I fabulous? Super fabulous
0: And so, let it be known That the Box of Oddities belongs to you And its fate is in your hands the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved.
1: Hello, everyone. Stuckoo, you here?
2: And I'm Gabby.
1: It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries,
0: murders by gaslight, and of course. Women who have been misrepresented
1: through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.